I'm Paul DeGarabedian, Senior Media Analyst for Comscore with my podcast, Many Screens, Big Picture. And I'm here today with Andy Gibson. Andy Gibson was destined for a life in the arts. With director Kenny Ortega, her acting career began at age two in the Gypsy music video with Fleetwood Mac. My God, that's cool. The years brought more performing, finding Andy on stage behind Barbara Streisand, Roberta Flack, and Shantae Moore. Singing on Guitar Hero for PlayStation 2 was Andy's first foray into video games. Andy today coaches aspiring voiceover talent on how to get started in the biz, as well as seasoned actors looking to fine-tune their dialects. But you're so much more than that, Andy. Welcome to the Many Screens Big Picture Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Before we started rolling, I asked you, how would you describe yourself? Because to just say, I mean, there's so many things. You're multi-talented, multifaceted. You do voiceover work. You're a singer. You do voiceover for animated series, for video games. You name it. You've done it in the voicing arts, if I can say it that way. <laughs> how did you get into this madcap world and how would you describe yourself in terms of it? Well, I mean, it's definitely evolved. You don't start your career, your professional career at age two and just keep doing the same thing, you know, for that entire t- span of time. I think it, you know, in general, I'm born and raised in LA and any kind of entertainer here, I think is, is a hustler. And so that's how my career as a whole has evolved. I'm definitely a voiceover actor. I'm definitely a singer. I'm definitely, you know, an actor in general, which a lot of people don't realize, you know, voice acting is actually acting. So indeed, yes, <laughs> I love the coaching. I love the teaching. And, you know, I'm also a pet sitter and I do daycare, you know, like all the things that you then accumulate in your survival jobs throughout the years of of the hustle too. So I like to say I do it all. And you do. And I I think you said that very well. I, I, the way you kind of frame that makes sense. I want to go way back. I mean, I don't know that I've ever interviewed someone where we talk about on their CV, uh, their, their acting or their career at age two. How did that come about? How do you wind up uh, in a Fleetwood Mac video at age two? Okay. So my mom is a show gal. And, um, she actually found out she was pregnant with me when she was on tour singing background for Bob Dylan. So she was in that scene, actually met my dad doing Jesus Christ superstar together on Broadway. So they were show people, right? They were in that world. And Kenny Ortega was in her cast of hair, which she did straight out of high school, the San Francisco cast of hair And that's how they met and became fast friends, along with my, as we say lovingly, gunkle, Greg Smith. May he rest in peace. He recently passed away. But he became partners with Kenny Ortega as his casting partner when Kenny started directing after he got out of that um, musical theater stuff. You know, this is long before he did the Michael Jackson This Is It tour. And, you know, he did stuff for the Bellagio fountains and all kinds of stuff over the years. But when he first started his, his stuff in directing, it was music videos. So whenever they had something where they wanted to use a little girl, they would call my mom and bring me in. 
So that was the very first thing was Fleetwood Mac. And I also got to do the Olivia Newton-John heart attack video when I was four, which is cool because it was only the two of us. And I remember not wearing any shoes on set because I was growing so fast. I think I was four in that one that my shoes didn't fit right. And she gave me her Winnie the Pooh doll. It was on the bed. You'll see it in the video. And she gave it to me as a gift saying it was hers when she was little, which I don't know if it was true, but I just loved that thing. And I thought it was sweet of her. And you also work with the tubes. Yeah, that was just a little cameo. So these were all ones that were directed by Kenny and they just decided to throw a little girl in it. And so, and you can still, the the crazy thing with the internet is that you can still see so many of these. And I still hear that tube song, She's a Beauty on the radio on a regular basis. So yeah, I just have a little cameo in that one as a ballerina, but there was a woman in that dressed as a mermaid because they made it out to be kind of like a freak show and she spun from her neck and her name was Dizzy. And I remember being enamored with her. (laughs) I can only imagine for a young lady at that age being on set and it seems like you were destined for life in the arts given uh, your parents' path on stage and, and all those incredible Jesus Christ superstar hair. These are like the seminal musicals of our time and certainly uh, well-known to everyone, but how interesting for you. And then at age seven, you began a a recording career, uh, Lorimar and Warner Brothers. What did you do in, in that capacity at the ripe old age of seven years old, five full years into your career? What was that all about? You know, it was just one of those things. My mom raised me by herself. So I would often be the tag along when she had rehearsals or recording sessions. You know, I had my bag of crayons and all my goodies and my things to keep me occupied. And there I am sitting in the back, also learning the songs and also, you know, because it's all coming into my ears. So I had had a couple opportunities to either before then or right after then to sing on some of her friends' albums and things. They they needed a fuller soprano sound. They wanted a lighter soprano or whatever. So they popped me in and they were like, someone would say, well, does she know it? And they're like, she's been sitting here all day long. She knows it. And they'd pop me in and I'd sing it right down and they'd be like, see? But I was still really shy. My mom was a big personality. You were shy, Andy? I find that hard If to you've met my mother, you know. She's even larger than life than I am. So... What happened was some friend of hers needed a little girl who could sing because Laura Mar was going to be doing a cartoon and they needed, they wanted a little girl to sing the lead vocal for the theme song. And that was also going to be the voice for the lead character. So I went in and record, I learned my song and did all my homework. And I just remember my mom was in tears because it was the first time that she heard me sing like that because I was so shy. If I wouldn't sing around the house, if she came by, I'd stop. But for me as an only child being shy, I really fell in love with the recording studio at that time because I could be in my element on my own, working on my thing, doing my thing that I enjoyed. So that was a lot of fun. And then to have that first seed of voiceover put in my head at that age that I was going to be the lead character and then it never happened was like, Oh, and then throughout the rest of my life, I sound like I'm 10. Everybody says you should do voiceover, you know, for finally pop up 
you know, much later in my life to be like, okay, it's, it's time to finally do this. <laughs> Don't you find too, Andy, that most people who are great singers were shy or are shy about their singing and they have to be in the right or in the proper environment to have that, not really necessarily confidence, but just it puts them, it's like a, a character in a movie putting on the, or an actor putting on the costume when you're finally in the booth and you have that microphone in front of you. Uh, I think it does something to you. And even at that young age, I think it did that for you. And your mother must have been astounded that you were able to bring it like that. Absolutely. And I learned over the years that, you know, being in the recording studio is a completely different animal than performing on stage. You know, in the recording studio, you literally have a fourth wall. You're just in the room by yourself in that space, creating, doing what needs to be done, where on stage, everybody's watching you and you have to pretend that you're not in front of a bunch of people. And so I kind of starting in the booth and throughout the years came into myself as a stage performer. And that's where you worked behind Barbara Streisand, Roberta Flack and Shantae Moore. Yes. And did, you know, I think I started doing plays and things like that probably around or like, you know, acting classes and whatnot around seven. And and then I think I did my first play around 10 and I got really involved in theater in junior high school. And that's also when the dancing started. I was doing competitive dancing on drill teams and things like that. And then high school was full triple threat acting, dancing, singing. And you really wanted this, it seems. You know, some there's some people have stage parents who kind of make them do it or they they have their kids start off in this arena and then the kid may say, I don't really want to, this isn't my thing. And then they're really pushed to do it. Seems like, and if I'm reading this wrong, tell me, but seems like you embrace this wholeheartedly. It's become your whole life. Uh, you were all in on this, even at a young age. Yeah. That was something that because I started so young, my mom was really wary about being a show parent herself And so she really wanted to make sure that she was not ever pushing me into something that I didn't want to do. So I think it was at age six with the acting, you know, with the headshots and the auditions and whatnot, I was going in to get a new agent. And this woman, you know, it's the eighties, right? She, I think she was smoking a cigar in the office, a bunch of five and six year olds. And she just called, she called everybody up one by one. We're all in the room together. And she goes, what do you do? And I was not having it at, you know, five or six years old. I was like, I don't know. What do you do? Ooh. And she goes, well, can you do any tricks like a cartwheel or whatever? And I was like, yeah. She goes, why don't you do? And I was like, I don't feel like it. So that's oh, man. pretty much. And I went out to my mom. And the first thing I said was, I don't want to do this anymore. Because she always said, if you tell me that you don't want to do it, then you're on your own. And so that was that, you know, as far as doing, you know, summer camp, creative summer camp and stuff like that. But as far as doing it professionally or getting involved in school, like that was all on me. Then once I got into college, that's kind of when I was like, okay, now we're going to, we're going to try on our own doing this professionally, getting headshots, getting agents, doing auditions, doing a demo, you know, all that stuff again. I think it's really interesting too, because the parallels between your career and then those who are not necessarily in the musical realm, but are actors, it's kind of the same thing. You're going out on auditions, you're putting yourself out there, you're trying to get a break where you can or, or get cast 
in whatever it may be, but for you, you were a triple quadruple threat. I mean, you even performed in a doo-wop quartet at Universal Studios Japan. Yeah, that was great. And I still have dear, dear friends from that job. So that was like my first, like really kind of on my own pro big job because it, I went to Japan. I think I was 22 or something like that. I signed on for a six month contract. We all rehearsed here in LA and then we flew over together. We were a quartet and I signed on for a six month contract and loved it so much that I ended up staying for two more contracts. So I was over there for a year and a half. They have a park at a universal studios has a park in Osaka. And so they have a Mel's drive-in. If you've been to the one here in LA, we have one. And there's a little stage there. So we did our little 50s doo-wop show there, which would change. You know, we had a Christmas show. And then we did one that was all about the 1950s dances and and whatnot. So that was a great, it was just a great time. I definitely left a part of my heart there in Japan. And then that started the traveling bug for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, it, that's really cool because it seems like, too, that led you to the, you were a performer on uh, Celebrity Cruises with a quintet. What a career. You were globetrotting and doing what you love. How cool is that? Yeah, that was like a dream job. I'd never been on a cruise ship before in my life until I got that job. So that was awesome. And all of our cruises were two weeks long and we only had three shows. So we only worked three days every two weeks and we got to travel and see the world for free. I mean, it was amazing. If I could have extended that contract, I would have, because that was another situation where you're already there. You've packed up and picked up your whole life. You're already there. What might as well enjoy as much of it as you can. But because the way they did it, the companies out of Florida, we had to come back and pay our taxes. So they couldn't extend us. We had to come back. And then if we wanted to go, we could go do a separate contract, but then they changed the contract. We had like a super cushy contract. So then they changed it. And I was like, Oh, it's not the same anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You were spoiled at that point. They totally spoiled us. Yeah. And it took me like almost three months, like almost half of the contract to stop feeling guilty with how well we were being treated and paid compared to the rest of this crew on the cruise ships, you know, who were sending money back to their families in the Philippines and whatnot and working 70 hours a week, you know, and we would see them when we went to eat our meals and, and go have a drink at the bar because we hardly worked compared to them. And I was like, Oh my God, this sucks. You know what I mean? But I was like, I had to stop that for a minute and be like, girl, you worked your butt off to get here enjoy it while it lasts because this like everything else is only temporary so have your fun make your money and when you get back home you got to hit the ground running because it's back to the hustle again so (laughs) I think that's great advice and anyone listening I I get the sense that you're also uh you know you have that creative side of your brain going all the time but you also it seems to me that the business side of the business is something that you had your your eye on as well wasn't just like you were just the talent which is amazing and perfect in and of itself. I just want to go through some of these other highlights here. Like you were cast in Minnie's Fly Girls at Disney. Yes. And what is that, by the way? I think I know what that is, but. Well, may she rest in peace. Minnie's Fly Girls is no longer with us. I think they, you know, they're constantly in theme parks. That was a show at California Adventure. And 
constantly trading out the shows. And so they wanted to have a show that was over by the um, Soaring Over California ride. So they gave Minnie her own all-female flight crew, and they gave her her own charter airline. And we were dressed, you know, like Pan Am, very 60s. And she was in the show with us and sang. she did a song and dance number. And it was all very, very cute. And I had been auditioning for Disney at that point, probably nearly four years. Um, I auditioned for their cruise line. I auditioned for the park several times. I, you know, and I was getting so frustrated with it because I'd get callbacks and they say, we love you so much and then not book the job. And I'm like, Ugh. but apparently it was the cruise ship contract that got me this job because the casting director of that said she took my card home from the audition and she was like, they kept throwing different characters at me and I just kept singing whatever they put in front of me. And she was like, well, you can just do anything. And I was like, well, thank you. Give me a job. So she brought it home and kept it for months. And it was like, we can't put her on a ship. We need to keep her here. We need to find something for her in the park. So I went to the open call, which was 900 people, who knows, like ridiculous amount of human beings. And they said, okay, we have to stop. We can't see everyone. But this person, this person, this person, this person who we didn't get to see, you're coming straight to callbacks. And I was one of those people. So that was very cool. Went back, I think, like the next day. And we sang in groups and did the very challenging harmonies and all that stuff. And then I booked the jobs. I heard like nine of us out of who knows how many hundred that auditioned. So that was really cool because I was like, oh, I can finally check that check that box when I had been check that box. You've checked every box in the recording industry. I still have to get to your video game work. I mean, you've done everything uh, with regard to me. You know, they talk about stay in your lane. You're like, screw that. I'm not staying in my lane. I'm doing what I want to do. And I, I think because you're so multifaceted, you're able to do all these things. I want to switch gears a little bit, although it's not switching gears that much because it's all singing and, and voiceover, because you actually combined the worlds of music and the video game world when you sang on Guitar Hero for PlayStation 2. How does that process, how do you wind up there? Well, that, I think it was a friend that got me that job because her friend actually wrote the song and they were looking for backgrounds, you know, because that's a musical game. So that was exciting because that was my first time doing anything for a video game Ever. This was before, this was years before I even started doing anything in voiceover land. So I just, you know, got in, it was like a regular session, but it was cool to be on a game where people could play it and just you know, bang down some lines. And then they're like, we need some harmonies, pop some harmonies on there. And that was that. What's your latest project and what character do you portray? This is probably the most epic character I've ever played in my life. It's technically the prequel to Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, and it's called Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. And I play Impa, who is the same character as I played in the Breath of the Wild game. It was also Impa, except there's a hundred years between these two characters in this life. In this life. That is epic. The first one, she's a, she's a little old lady. And now she's this awesome, badass warrior who uh, everyone is really loving 
um, fighting with. She's got a ton of cool tricks and um, having so many uh, new fans on Twitter telling me she's just their favorite character to play with. She's she's just badass. And you find the fans. I, I mean, I certainly respect the the gaming world. It's a multi-billion dollar business for a reason. And I think the fans and those who play those video games are so passionate about not only just playing the game, but the characters that inhabit those incredible worlds. And you're part of that. I would imagine that for a gamer meeting you would be like, they'd be starstruck because you're literally the voice of these legendary characters do you find that the fans are really cool, that they really get into it, maybe more passionate than any other fans uh, that exist in, in all of entertainment? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's so cool, particularly because Legend of Zelda is such a, you know, it goes back to when I was young. There's been so many games in the series and Zelda fans specifically are really loyal um, you know, within the Zelda franchise. So the fact that I got to put a voice for the first time to this character who had never been voiced before. And now that Age of Calamity has come out, people are writing me messages and telling me how their mind is blown because they didn't know that I did Impa, the old Impa. They thought it was actually an old lady. Oh, wow. That's a huge compliment. Yeah, that's what I said. And I wasn't involved in many cons or many um, interviews and things like that. And I had a guy who interviewed me for his podcast say he apologized to me because he didn't bother asking because he really thought I was an old lady and I would not be interested. (laughs) That's really cool because the fans are like, no way that you voiced both of them. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. Oh my God. That's so cool. So you're, that's a multi-generational character that you're portraying in reverse. Yeah. How versatile do you have to be to do all that? That's, that's really cool. But I love that for the fans, that was probably like an Easter egg kind of, Hey, did you know that Andy Gibson did both? Yeah. A lot of people, I'm seeing them discover it on social media and they're like, no way, that's the same person. I love that. (laughs) seems like the early part of your career or the lion's share of it up to that point was all singing, performing in the more musical realm. But then now it seems, and I know you're still doing all of that, but I mean, it really, maybe that was the jumping off point, the video game uh, realm into all this great voiceover work that you've done. Yeah. So what basically it was when that Minnie's Fly Girl show got canceled that I decided to go full bore into voiceover. So taking classes, getting my demos, getting um, representation. And that's when I started booking. That was like eight years ago now that I started that and started booking in commercials. What do you prefer? I Wait, I'm not going to make you choose between them, but the singing and the voiceover work, the performing as a musical artist versus being a voiceover artist, what do you prefer? Does it not, you'll do whatever you love both. Is there one though that holds your passion or is it whatever you're working on at that moment? That's what you love. You know, I have to say, this is when my little businesswoman pokes her head out and says, depends on the pay. (laughs) (laughs) 
Amen. Nobody can fault you for that. <laughs> this is not just my passion, but this is my profession. And I need to, I need to make sure that it's all well worth the money. And, you know, so, but I do, you know, there is something about live performing that recording in the studio can't, can't scratch that itch and vice versa, you know, so there's things that I miss, but I haven't performed live in a long time. I used to do Christmas caroling. I took a couple years off. I think that was my last live performing that I've done. I've been doing much more studio work and, you know, this studio is my first home. So I will always feel comfortable there. And within the framework of the pandemic, within this you know tragic situation worldwide, it seems, oh, and I've talked to a lot of people both on this show and just in private who have found a, a real finding in this very tough time, a lot of creativity, really delving into that, having the opportunity to, to really work on their talents and do more. And when you talk about being in the booth, that is very conducive to uh, this situation because you can be like we're right now, we're in different cities, but we're able to talk here on this platform. But I'm sure when you are in studio with other creatives that it's different, obviously, than being on a Zoom call with other people doing creative things. I mean, I'm sure when we get through this, you you will be very raring to go to get back in studio with other humans. Or is it just about the connection, whether it be in person or virtually? You know, I think it's cool because they're all different. You know what I mean? I have clients that will just send me the copy and let me do my thing and send it back to them. So we only ever communicate via email, you know, then there's other clients who want to direct you. I did have all of my Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity sessions during the pandemic. So I was happy to go somewhere. It was right at the beginning. No, I, we recorded in July. So we were kind of, you know, in the middle of it, but it took them a couple months to figure out how they wanted to traverse that situation. And then I went ahead and went in and nobody else was there. It was just me and everybody else was in my cans and I had one engineer, but I was just happy to get out of the house. You know, I'm still happy to get out of the house now because this has lasted far too long. <laughs> well, I agree. I, I think though I, we could talk for a lot longer. I mean, literally I'm still trying to uh, comprehend how much you've done in your career and how, again, you have, you just said traversed, you've traversed, it seems all different angles of musical talent and then voiceover and then finding within that different uh, outlets, whether it be video games or on stage or in the booth, whatever it is. And I'm just so thrilled to talk to you, Andy. Where can we all find you to tap into that incredible talent? Well, I've got, I mean, it took me 30 something years to pull everything together and finally put up a website. So that is andygibson.com and it's Andy with an I. And then I have a million different pages where you can see all kinds of past work. Um, and it's all beautifully organized because I am a Virgo. So it's easy to tell what you're looking for, but I have a page on there about my coaching and I've got autographs up there now from my uh, Legend of Zelda games you know, singing and you can hear all kinds of different demos and see pictures and, and 
all that fun stuff that took me finally, you know, forever to finally pull together. But I've got my singing from Thundercats Roar on there and, and you know, all, just all of it. And I also have my fun little things where you can connect to me on social media because I love talking to the fans and Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook. I have a personal page and I have a business page. So like the business page, don't try and friend me on my personal page because if I don't know you, I'm not going to be offended. That's right, people. (laughs) Don't forget that. Andy Gibson, I was so honored to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for being on the show, Andy. Thanks so much, Paul. Paul.